0: I want to go to there. Skype! I
1: saw
0: it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't
2: like coffee and ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? Yes! <laughs>
0: <laughs> 30 Helens agree.
2: Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby, huh? It's kind actually
1: would
0: you believe it And you beautiful tropical fish don't
1: mention the war clear eyes keep hearts hello and welcome to the televerse sound on tv podcast this is kate kulsik and i'm joined as ever by simon howell simon it's another one of those no chit chat at the top kinds of weeks no isn't it?
2: can you imagine how we're gonna feel
1: in, in April? like
2: mid i was gonna say mid-may when Ugh. it's gonna be even worse because all the stuff from April still gonna be there, but they were gonna have like Penny Dreadful and other stuff.
1: Oh God, I just don't wanna. I don't <laughs> wanna think about that. Um, it was, <laughs> it was a ridiculous week of comedy uh, this week, and there's some interesting dramas happening as well. Uh, so we're going to keep the opening segment really short here. Uh, we'll do, we'll do some listener feedback next week, but uh, we did want to specifically mention. That we got some uh, logos uh, from Carl, so thank you so much, Carl. It was super cool to see those pop up on Twitter, and we always appreciate uh, when whenever you you make graphic design for us because it always looks super cool, and we we love we love getting that stuff. So uh, wanted to mention that up at the top, and y'all can if you guys want to see what he put together, you can go check it out at Twitter. Um, also, of course, um, this week The Walking Dead is back. We won't be talking about it here. Because, Simon, are you caught up with The Walking Dead?
0: <laughs> Do you have any interest in skipping ahead or getting caught
1: up with The Walking Dead? <laughs> yes, that answers that. However, of course, the Sound and Sight Walking Dead podcast uh, is back by the time you're hearing this. Uh should be, should be up or will be up soon in your Televerse feed. So you can uh, hear, of course, uh, General Editor, Editor-in-Chief... Uh, all that good stuff, uh, Mr. Ricky D and myself talking about the Walking Dead season premiere, or mid, sorry, I should say mid-season premiere. Um, also, this week I was a guest on Under the Hood, the Sound On Sight Banshee podcast, hosted by uh, Sean Caletti and Les Chapel. Super cool to be on there, and uh, thanks, guys, if you're listening for having me on. Every, again, everybody can check that out at Sound On Sight. Also, at the end of the podcast, we'll be talking with. My wonderful sister, Maggie Kalsic, who is a, a elementary school teacher, uh, and we'll be talking about um educational children's television um sort of looking at some of the different shows over various periods of time and uh you know who who they're geared towards how they're successful which ones work for us which ones don't uh so that's coming at the the end of the show because of course it's an episode that ends in zero which means it's time for another informed opinions um and that's what we we're talking about this week uh, Simon anything else particularly notable this week in TV or do we just need to get on with it
2: We need to just start because the, there's there's the there's all the things. There's
1: all the things, and and it's not only is there a lot, but there's things to say about them. Yes, um, I think a few people care that, for example, Better Call Saul started this week. Fewer people care that you know Allegiance started, but you know there are a couple maybe. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's stuff to talk about. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Our week in TV. So we're just gonna kick that off right now after this break with our week in comedy.
0: Well, I spent a lifetime- Single bars and good timing.
1: week in comedy, well, basically basically we're screwed because I have no idea how we're calling this, Simon, when we get to the end of the segment. Um, but this week we'll be talking about Jane the Virgin, Chapter 12, Parks and Rec, Donna and Joe, Broad City, Knockoffs, Always Sunny, Charlie Work, Girls, Cubbies, uh, Togetherness, Houston, We Have a Problem, and Looking, looking Down the Road. Uh, there's some quality television going on this week in comedy.
2: This is one of those weeks... Where we're gonna get to the end of the year and be like, "That was one of the weeks where comedy just killed it," because there's seriously three or four, uh, what you would call in the rap world, straight up bangers, uh, <laughs> in uh, in, in in the comedy section this week.
1: Yeah, there's yeah, there's some series best going on right here, and uh, we'll 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 get to it. But let's kick things off with Jane the Virgin. We're not ending with Jane the Virgin for once. I thought, hey, we're talking about last week's episode. Why don't we put it at the beginning of the segment? Uh, so, this is your warning. If you don't want to know anything about, uh, about Sin Rostro, about any of the recent developments on Jane the Virgin, I encourage you to fast forward now, look at your show notes, go to soundonside.org. Uh I'll put a, a special note in there so that you are not spoiled. Okay, you have been warned. How did you feel about the reveal of Sin Rostro?
2: Uh, I was annoyed because the previous week I meant to say that Rose was the only person who made sense as Rose ah, Rostro, and okay. I didn't. So when they <laughs> revealed it, I felt like a dummy for not publicly pronouncing it when I had the chance. Um, the I mean, the, the actual uh, ending scene was fine, although not nowhere near close to my favorite part of the episode. Uh, I do wonder... Um, how often they can go down the, um uh crazy slash evil lady route, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a- an interesting bit of tension because they, um, I really like what they did with uh, Petra this week and having her have that tender scene with uh, with Jane and having Jane talk about empathy and forgiveness and then having that be a little bit of uh of tension with uh with raphael constantly talking about his crazy ex-girlfriend and his crazy sister which is just very grating um Mm -hmm. so there's like an interesting bit of tension there that i i'm hoping that they will continue to sort of peel away rather than just go back to um so yeah i don't know how did you feel about that
1: i currently well i still have a lot of trust for the writers um, I have trouble with it because it comes out of nowhere, but then again, we spent very little time with Rose on her own. Um, I'm trying to think if we spent any time with her where she wasn't theoretically putting on a show for either Luisa or Raphael. Um, as long as there's like a Man in Black pass the name down, sorry, Dread Pirate Roberts kind of pass the name down situation with Sin Rostro, I think I'm okay with it the it seems like Sinrostro is a established enough figure based on what we've seen from the police side of, of the series this whole time that Rose is way too young. Um, but there's not, that doesn't mean that they can't work some magic, but as long as she, they don't try to tell me that she has built up this whole empire, uh, right. then I'll, I think I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't, it's just it. They they've just made her straight up. Obviously, Kaiser Soze. Yeah. Well, no. Just she buries a man alive in concrete. That's like, that's really bad. Uh, obviously, she's an <laughs> international drug dealer, murderer, everything. But she just you know, that's next level. What they show her doing this week. So, uh, we'll have to see especially because they do seem to try to be getting us to like her or with, with like the, the engaging. Oh, but she really did feel for Louisa. She did fall for Louisa. That's real. It's like, after you show her doing what she does here, I, there's no, don't try to get me to like her.
2: Right. So uh, speaking of next level, let's get into some next level pedantry. So the week before or the week before the week before, um, we had the narrator talking about how Michael uh, was always going to feel that Jane was the one he was in love with until his last breath, suggesting a level of eternal omniscience.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: this week, this week, A, uh, the episode opens with the narrator referring to Sin Rostro as a he, and the episode ends with with the narrator being shocked at the reveal of who Sin Rostro is. Now, I get that it's there to be played as a laugh, uh, but I still find the mixture of omniscience and non-omniscience annoying.
1: See, I like how, for you, this is pedantry. For me, this is bullshit, (laughs) is what it is. You don't get to screw with that. You don't get to, you know, like, oh, let's go for the joke here. No, you've committed to the Latin lover narrator as an omniscient third-person narrator. He knows all. He is our guide. We trust him implicitly. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is cheating and it is lazy and it's going for a cheap laugh. And you're better than that, Jane the Virgin. And let's just never speak of this because he's not allowed to not know things. He cannot reveal things, sure, but he doesn't get to be surprised.
2: Right. Uh well, And I wanted to get that out of the way, because other than that, I thought this was a really, really great episode, and actually a lot better than last week. I mean, everything with... I mean, I didn't care about the soap opera backstory stuff, Mm -hmm. and it really seemed like they were going to make that a really big deal for several weeks. So for them to just torpedo that this week and be like, nah, and have him off the show, fantastic.
1: Well, and yeah, that works very well, but more specifically, the the scenes... His death scene is well-written, the way it's interspersed. There's a bit too much... There, There's too much hand-holding going on. I have other problems with the narration this week. Just There's too much hand-holding. Trust your audience a bit more. You don't need to interject and explain everything to us every single week. Uh, it's getting mm-hmm. actually a bit grating, and I, I don't like to say that because I love the Latin lover narrator, uh, narrator so far and how it's been done, uh, so it's, it makes me sad to be annoyed by it. But... Um, but, I mean, ha- that scene was really well done on both levels. And then to follow it up with Dad was just like, oh, man, that's a straight for the Kleenexes moment there. It was mm-hmm. beautiful, wonderfully played by by both actors. And, uh, yeah, it was really good.
2: Yes. So, uh, in conclusion, Day in the Virgin, you did lots of great stuff and mm-hmm. some other stuff that we hope you never do again.
1: Yes. Just don't, Just stop doing that. You know, we we don't need all the constant recapping. Um, let's recap a different episode here. Let's talk about Parks and Rec, Donna and Joe. Uh, yes, Parks and Rec has done some of the best recent uh, television weddings, if only for Andy and April, which was just their wedding. was one of the all-time great sitcom weddings, I would say. How did you feel about Donna and Joe, and where does it rank for you in the stratum of Parks and Rec weddings?
2: Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I think Todd Vanderwerf said something similar, and I, w- I would completely agree, uh, Parks has really only done one memorable wedding, and that was April and Andy. Uh, everything else, eh. Sorry.
1: I, I like the other weddings. I like what we get with they're, Leslie yeah, and Ben. I like what fine. we get with Ron Swanson. Come on.
2: They're fine, but just nothing. Nothing is like the way that, they, that, the, that the episode was just called Fancy Party and had absolutely no foreshadowing or buildup. And I think it happened like the middle of a season. It's um, okay. So
1: just the fact that it was a surprise is no, why not,
2: I, can... I wasn't done. Okay. And then just if it was allowed to be completely hilarious and totally sentimental at the same time. Uh, whereas I feel like in the other for the other ones, it was overwhelmed by sentiment and didn't really bring the funny uh, is my problem. This episode probably falls somewhere in the upper middle echelon. I mean, I felt like the point was more about April and her sort of discovering that there are things that she is actually both good at and enjoys doing. Uh, It seems like after that episode, they can just be like, okay, I'm going to be a wedding planner now because it's it's awesome. I feel like they don't need to do any more. The seasons had this very schematic thing of, okay... You can add this to the checklist of things that you like in your dream job, which has been, which I've been finding a little bit boring, to be honest. And I feel like after this one, they can just be like, "Yep, this is it."
1: Yeah, no, no, I don't agree because I think she'd be a terrible wedding planner because she would hate too many of the brides. All right, well, I, I feel like she would only do this for somebody she liked, and she would just not want to deal with, you know, she would like people would want like fr- frou frou, pink bows and stuff like that, and she would just rebel against it and say, "This is stupid." And not want to have to deal with them.
2: Fair enough. Uh I want to give them props for several of the best laugh lines, uh g- coming from the presence of Genuine. Uh that was pretty great.
1: Yeah, it was great to bring him back and it in the con- the context made sense. I liked uh it's nice to see Keegan Michael Key back as well. Um on that uh you know on that note and yeah i, th- I thought it worked and it was a lot of fun and it had a different feel this is a more traditional wedding feel than any of our weddings they've done so it's nice to see didn't just do a standard church wedding for once uh, any other thoughts on parks and rec because uh grizzle box um, I- or some of the other episodes
2: uh I just specifically wanted to mention it was great to get Katherine Hahn back and her sheer visceral disgust of children uh, was was really was a great note for her.
1: Yeah, that was that was pretty fun. Uh, let's move on to Broad City knockoffs and this is uh this is just a gift from the television gods <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. this is a transcendent piece of television, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think I have enough plaudits for for knockoffs and what this episode does
2: um i'll I'll start i think that uh the most important thing and it's dumb to talk about importance in comedy because what should be important is the funny but you know you can do other things as well and what i think is legit important uh, about broad city is that it's reversing the trend of comedy writing which is you know ever since the office you know the office uk was an amazing series um but it has a lot to answer for in the sense that after The Office, everyone thought that the height of humor was cringe humor. And they continued to think so for about a decade. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and that resulted in a lot of great shows, and it also resulted in a lot of really lazy shows. Uh, what's amazing about Broad City is that it, as far back as I can think anyway, uh, it has never, cringe humor is not in its vocabulary. Uh, Broad City manages to make its characters embrace and uh and celebrate every quirk about themselves and about e- and about each other that they that they you know that they happen to encounter and make it hilarious. And that's a special thing
1: and what I go to uh for capital I important about this episode because of course I'm me, so feminist gendered lens, all of that good stuff. We have a conversation between two people in their underwear. Uh, none, none of which is particularly provocative, by the way, a nice note, uh, and a woman wearing a strap on. And it is a completely serious, heartfelt, philosophical discussion with no laughs. And it, it is – yes, if you want – if if I wasn't laughing because I was engaged with the characters, I'm sure there's many people who were laughing at the fact that they're having this, this, uh, this, this scene uh, of a breakdown of a potential relationship – uh, just a fundamental difference of opinion about, about certain things while Abby is wearing a strap on and not commenting on it at all. But I love that that is a thing that has been, that is on my television. This is a thing <laughs> we're doing <P-15>. and <laughs> 15. We have the strap on equivalent <laughs> of peanut 15 in this right. episode of broad city. It is taken completely seriously, non-judgmentally. And, uh, and, and just, that is a thing that is now on my TV There's been any number of of representations of, like, this kind of a scene, but with men and never with women, that I can think of, at least, Mm -hmm. on TV. And this was just, I couldn't believe that I was watching this, and I was so happy for (laughs) people of my generation and people of a younger generation who who are watching this. And, oh, God, I can't get over it. Uh, But, I mean, as
2: much as, like there are things about the about the episode that are, like, refreshing and important or whatever. I think the most important thing is that it's fucking hilarious. It's so
1: funny. <laughs> it's really,
2: really funny. Uh, Susie Essman and Bob Balaban are, I guess, kind of obvious, but still really, really, really great casting um, as Alana's parents. And, uh, I mean, uh, what would you isolate as, like, just the single funniest moment? Because to me, uh, in terms of just hilarious character moments, I have to say that... Um, alana's twerk of glee when she finds out that the deed has been done mm-hmm. uh, was uh i i was if i'd been drinking milk uh, it would have been on the ground
1: uh i think the the scene where i was probably laughing the most was the just straightforward conversation that abby and alana and alana's parents have about pegging just completely and abby just can't like fully processed this is just a normal conversation that they're having and it's okay nobody's offended and it's you know they're just kind of chatting at a shiva about pegging it was just delightful and i think
2: like season one broad city would have taken um the whole conceit of alana and her mom go bag shopping and then that turns into an adventure i feel like that would have been the episode and it Mm would have been fine with that Like, I'm thinking back to episodes from season one, like the trying to get to the wedding thing, which, in retrospect, just feels like such weak sauce. Um, Whereas here, it's like, that's just one tiny thread of a much more elaborate episode. And it's like, it almost doesn't register when you think, oh, yeah, this also happened. And it was also really funny, but it also wasn't the point.
1: Well, and I love that. I mean, you talked about Susie Espin and Bob Balaban's casting. I love how natural it feels because Alana... Obviously, the connection with Susie Astman just instantly makes sense. But she also can be very quiet and thoughtful and uh, considered with her reactions to things. And so having Bob Balaban be the other main influence in her life growing up uh, is just just wonderful. And the the last thing I'll point to with this episode um, is just, first of all, it pays off, you know, like a season of build up with the Jeremy stuff that I think is great. But also it's just joyous. This is a joyful show. And, you know, from, from the handstand that Alana's doing to just really, really just everything that we see here, even the negative stuff, or the not negative, the more confrontational scenes. This is, this is a joyous and joyful show uh, that is taking on any topic that it finds interesting. And that is wonderful.
2: Ah, stuck a dildo in the dishwasher. I see. Um, uh, I would add to that uh, that I, I hope this isn't the end of Jeremy. I hope that they actually keep him around and make, have that be an evolving sort of thing that they can, that they can bring back. Cause I think it would be a shame to just, I mean, it's fine if he doesn't, but I think it'd, it'd be a shame to just uh, to have that history and then not keep exploding it every once in a while.
1: Oh, I'm sure that they will. I have no doubts that they will personally. I um, have any other thoughts on Broad City or shall we move on to another fantastic episode of, of comedy? <laughs>
2: Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so we've been hyping Charlie work. I think since we initially got the the pack of screen, and I don't beginning in January. Uh, yeah, in late late December, early January, when they sent us the entire season, uh, like bosses, um, and I'm a little. If anything else, I think if nothing else, rather, I think that the magnificence of Charlie work versus the rather muted response I've heard. Uh, on social media to it, I think just points to the fact that, I mean, it's, it's on its 10th season and I don't think anyone except the, uh, the faithful are really still watching It's Always Sunny, um, which is really too bad because this was amazing. Um, the other thing that was kind of amusing about this episode finally, uh, coming out where people get to see it, um, was that when I first saw it, I thought, this is a very Birdman-esque, like the whole, uh, the, Obviously stitch together single take, um, with this very with this percussive drum score is very like feels very Birdman, but I knew based on the production schedule that that was impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just one of those weird serendipitous things, and then uh, to have the online response to be like, oh, this is their Birdman episode, and be like, no, guys, it, it's, it's not not re- how it works. It's not possible. <laughs> it's really not how TV works. But anyway. Uh, This is an incredible... I mean, I mean, this is probably their best episode in at least two seasons.
1: I gotta say, this is the best episode, certainly since Charlie McDennis, and I would need to rewatch the two kind of back-to-back to, back to decide which one I, I think is, is better versus that I like more. Um, Yeah, this is really great. I, Charlie Day nails it. I love that from the start of this episode, it is all his perspective. He's the protagonist. He is completely um professional- and good at his job, and these people just keep fucking up his day. Uh, normally, he, he doesn't get to play that beat. Every now and again, it, it comes up, but uh, but to have him be so clearly the point of entry from the opening of this, uh, it's, just, it's great to have them change, change with the perspective every now and again. And like you said, the energy of it, the camera work, the scoring, and uh, having Charlie Day, his performance be keyed to match that and really, uh, again, Give that energy to the entire episode. It's it's a it's a breathless twenty
2: two. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 one big gulp of breath, and not just because it seems like a single shot. And like every year, or at least for the last, I mean, I've, I've settled into it now. But for the last couple of years, I keep thinking, are they going to be able to keep? doing it's always sunny when charlie day is a huge star and then charlie day keeps not not quite being a huge star uh so it never ends up being a problem and i and i don't really get how that happens because he's just he's a a singular uh comic screen presence uh and writer like he's 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 you know he's had quite a few writing credits on the show as well and to give him this just like i got this one guys Mm -hmm. (laughs) let me just I, and which is, you know, the other contributions to the episode are also very important, especially, obviously, Frank. Um, but uh, <laughs> just to give him just just to be like letter rip and give him a showcase that I don't think he's really gotten in quite a while. I, and also that pays off the fact that we know he does all this nef- all this nebulous work for the bar that we don't really get to see. And to finally sort of get a sense of what that really feels like and the extent to which none of the rest of them care about it. Uh, is is a really special way to to pay off, uh, long term viewers.
1: Yeah, it was what last year or last season, Caitlin Olsen got her spotlight episode uh, and the fabulous season premiere. Uh, and this is the Charlie Day episode. I wonder, have they is has there been a Dennis like spotlight episode that you can think of? I mean, Fat Matt got an entire season.
2: I would say the Dennis system.
1: The dentist dumb. Yeah, that's true. That is pretty fantastic. But we mentioned it when we previewed the season. Uh, Frank coated in paint. Just that's the thing in nightmares. Frank
2: cl- coated in black. And, and and the setup to that gag is, is so like, you know, you see him like you, it's it's like a good six, seven minutes of, of Bill level, OK, get yourself in black paint. Get a piccolo or whatever or a, a recorder or whatever it is. Play this note for this amount of time. And you're like, what the? Is he talking about? And then when it finally clicks and you see what he's doing, oh, that is a little bit of comic Valhalla right there.
1: Yeah, uh fantastic. So much fun. Um and yeah, the rest of you internet, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. This was an amazing episode of Always Sunny. It was an excellent episode of any show and uh it did not get anywhere like nobody was talking. Maybe I was not on Twitter at the right time, but it's it felt like hardly anybody was talking about this episode, and that is a shame because it was fantastic.
2: No, it, if if nothing else, honestly, if I worked for effects, I would have just made promos for it and making it look like it was a birdman episode. and then Maybe <laughs> some people would have watched it.
1: Oh, man. Okay, well, let's move on to our next episode. Uh, we're going to f- close out our weekend comedy with the three HBO shows, uh, Sunday shows, I should say. So first we have Girls Cubbies, and we get the, the close of the Iowa arc here. Um, I like the way that this episode ends, but let's focus on, uh, should we talk about Hannah first? Uh, the more Which for me is the more dramatic side of the episode, or shall we talk about uh, Shoshin Ray, the more comedic side?
2: I kind of want to get Hannah out of the way because I sort of, I'm very nonplussed by the Hannah content of this episode and of the season in general. Like, I was sort of hoping that they would use the Iowa stuff as a springboard for something. And instead it kind of seemed like just sort of a, a little bit of a misadventure okay and nothing else really which i don't know like it it i felt like they could have done something more with that maybe they still will i don't know but i mean i i liked all the scenes with her and her dad um i always liked the stuff with hannah's parents but uh yeah i don't know and i i really don't care about her and adam for some reason i just i used to and
1: now i just don't
2: i, I mean it's nice to see jillian jacobs but other than that
1: eh. i see what you're saying uh for me I, and I don't disagree that it might have been fun to see more, uh, like to spend a little more time in Iowa, or to get a bit more uh, of a distinct progression or, or catalyzing moment, I guess, from her experience there while she was there. But I, I thought I thought Lena Dunham's performance and the writing of this episode was fantastic. I, she captures. The the fear um, and the uncertainty of this is the right choice to make. This is what anyone would be happy to be here. There's what's wrong with me that I'm not, you know, that I'm not happy at the... It's the Iowa Writers' Workshop. it's It's like the biggest of deals. And... Her inability to to be happy there, or to cope there, and the way that she's been acting out because of that. I mean, I thought like when she, the, the line delivery she gives of "Oh, for a moment, the moment there, I thought you were kicking me out," and I was so happy. Um, right. I thought I thought she nailed that. I loved the dinner with her uh, father, and like you said, it's always great to see Hannah's parents. I got I have to mention by the way. Um, so, Hannah's dad is coming into town. Because, you know, he was in the neighborhood. He had a conference in Minneapolis. Guys, in case anybody out there doesn't know, and I don't know if you know this, Simon, uh, Minneapolis is 300 miles from Iowa City, which means he drove <laughs> f- over four and a half hours for that dinner.
0: Because he was in the... Well, he,
1: he may have flown, in which case it's only like an hour flight, But but still, I'm just... Yeah, you know, he he was in right. Minneapolis. He was nearby. No, 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 no. The <laughs> I think
2: that uh, I I can appreciate what you're saying about that aspect of the Hannah thing. Um, however, I think it was undercut by the um, the level of myopia of her letter was mm-hmm. a little bit much. Like the I mean, we we know that she's supposed to be a uh, a good writer and a perceptive human, albeit one with limits. But even Considering the limits we know, her non-apology, apology apology that isn't an apology, uh, was a little bit much.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the context of her subconsciously looking for a way to get kicked out, I think it makes a lot of sense, as well as just her being so completely uh, defensive or not self-aware. I think it, I I mean, I, I guess like all I can say is that it worked for me. It felt truthful to her for me, and I... I would hope that she will continue to grow and then look back on this experience and have more awareness of the ridiculous nature of it. I also do agree with something you've said in the past. uh, If this is the the end of the Iowa stuff, which it seems like it has to be, uh, what a waste to not have gotten to really know any of the other writers that are there. Which I guess fits with the fact that Hannah hasn't taken the time to get to know any of them. But... That seems like it's you know there's so much potential there that's just they're closing off that door um yeah. unless one of them pops up in New York. I don't know,
2: like I think they did a better job with with the characters that she was working working at and the on the advertorial job mm-hmm. uh, versus the ones here who who never really did rise above a uh, stereotype. but I did want to say nice things about the stuff that happened in New York. Uh, all the stuff with Ray and Shoshana was lovely. um I actually think Zosha Mamet is a really underrated actress. I think she might be. The best comic actress of the main cast. she's really, really funny. I know she gets like a limited she gets she has like a narrow range to the character, but I think it's very deliberate and she uh is exceptionally good at exploiting it.
1: Yeah, I I really liked what we got with Shosh and Ray here, both both of them like separately and then together, and uh, <laughs> friends don't let friends go to what was it to buy to buy underwear, uh, was was pretty great, and as well as also being so there, there was plenty of funny stuff there, but I also really liked the that's not the guy you are anymore. I saw that happen. You made it happen, um, as well as just not make making that scene about them as a romantic couple. Uh, I thought they did a good job with that. It could have been too heavy-handed. I'm sure for some people it might have been, but that whole sequence really worked for me. And I gotta say, uh, are they trying to get me to like Marnie? Because I feel like we're watching her mature in front of our eyes this season over the course of her relationship with Desi. Maybe the, the end of that scene may not imply that, but just, I was going to say, but, but her awareness of, uh, I'm pretty sure she dumped you and you're just coming to me because you can't, you know, that kind of a thing. Maybe it would be not, more, you know, it would be better for Marnie if she kicked the stupid bum out, but that's, you know, she's not fully evolved yet.
2: I feel that the awareness almost makes it worse though, like because she she knows he's an asshole and she knows he's come groveling back, but she still takes him in anyway. Um, I mean, hopefully next week she's just like she just wises up and you mm-hmm. know properly kicks him out. Um, you know what I, I'm what I'm hoping it takes so that we get another scene so that we get another scene with her is Natalie Morella showing up and just absolutely tearing her a new asshole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I want to see another scene with. See, that's not the scene I want to see with Clementine. I want to see the post-breakup, what we're redoing with Desi, girl bond scene with Clementine. That's the scene I want to see. I don't know if that's possible, for given who the characters are, um, but that would be more interesting to me.
2: Yeah, girls isn't really a let's give, give us a girls power scene show.
1: <laughs> it <laughs> really doesn't true. ever
2: let you have that. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you care about Adam and Jillian Jacobs at all?
1: Well, not yet. I think that scene, I liked the way that that scene was played. I liked the, the. I thought it was a good balance of awkward space. And um, I liked that they didn't try to pretend at any way. Like Adam just says, no end of episode i thought that worked really well and i look forward to i you know i wanted to watch the next episode right after it finished um so i think that this handled well and i think that's an interesting way to bring in gillian J- jacobs i know that she's i had heard that she was going to be in the season so I, that that seems like that has a very interesting you know she she'll be she, it feels like they're actually going to use her unlike natalie morales so uh fingers crossed on that any All any right. final thoughts on girls for you
2: uh no it was good I feel worried about Iowa, but we'll see how that goes forward from here.
1: okay. A show we haven't checked in on in a while is togetherness, but they had one of their best episodes uh, this week, Houston. We have a problem, so I figured we should you know it's time to dust it off what do you, What do you think of this episode specifically, and uh how are you feeling about the show to this point?
2: Um I mean, it's pretty neatly bifurcated to me. The stuff with Mark Duplass and Melanie Linsky is great. Uh, the stuff with Amanda Pete and Steve Zissis is tiresome, like it just is. Like, <laughs> it's it's literally stri- split straight down the middle like there are I, there are some fun little moments i guess in in the latter half but the overall arc of it is just so familiar and uh, like we're doing this again all right like like you know like there's some good little moments in there but come on
1: See, I, for me, the stuff with Susan Says and Amanda Peete really works. Yes, it's something we've seen a million times before. There's nothing new here. But I, I enjoy the performers enough that I, I have fun with that part of the storyline. Whereas I, again, really like the performers. But um, I feel like there's, we haven't gotten to the interesting stuff yet, I guess I should say, with Mark Duplass's character. I like the stuff that more that we're getting with Melanie Linsky. Um, there's more and more interesting and better, I would say, to come with that.
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that we, we, we get, uh, we get to Plass and Linsky getting the, the hotel room and really actually making it go at, you know, at having some sex. Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna use a euphemism, but no, having some sex. And I think that the way that it's, uh, that it's blocked and, uh, the way that they go through each and every one of those, uh, awkward little beats and then his breakdown at the end, I think it's all very specific, and actually feels lived in and real, which I think is something that the show has trouble with because it does toy around with archetypes. Uh, that's one of the instances where I think it actually really clicks. Um, and, you know, that's hopefully something that they can do more in the last four
1: episodes. Yeah. And you're right. That is, I is it's been a while since I watched this one. And that is a, a very effective sequence. Um, yeah. Basically, I like this one a lot better than the episodes that I had most of the episodes. uh that I had come earlier, specifically as a whole, rather than just right. liking one element. I thought this one came came together came together quite a bit more. Um, any other thoughts on togetherness, or shall we move on to our last comedy of the week? Uh,
2: let's go to Looking, which uh, feels weird to stick in the comedies this week, to be honest.
1: Yeah, looking down the road. Um, what did you think?
2: Um, I I find it uh, interesting that we had uh, the, the girls and Looking made make for an interesting pairing this week because they both have. Uh, you have to tell your significant other about us scenes, and they go very differently. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, one of them is more or less unprompted. But anyway, um, and uh, I don't know. Looking is brutal this week, <laughs> again, weird that we're the that it's in the comedies. I mean, there is stuff that is kind of funny, and and the Augustine stuff is is uh is fairly heartwarming for Augustine stuff. But the sequence with uh with Scott Bakula and Lynn <sighs> talking about uh how he's never gonna get fully invested again is
1: brutal yeah yeah it was hard to talk about earlier because i knew that this was coming i'd been able to see these episodes and so we're talking about oh it's so great to have lynn back and i love his relationship with dom knowing where it was gonna go uh yeah this just the delivery that we get of when i find him uh from dom is just just like you say it's just crushing and uh so well played and it makes sense for the characters as well. I mean, it didn't feel like it came out of nowhere and if they were going to, uh, you know, if they, if they were going to go this, this route that I thought, you know, it makes it so it all makes sense. It didn't come out of left field, but yeah. Oh God. It's a, it's a tough week in looking town.
2: Well, and also like that beat of, um, I will never love again because I was too hurt. Like Uh that's, bullshit 99% of the time like, yeah. so it's just not a thing you can buy into um but the way it's part partly down to the writing it's partly down to bacula's performance um coming from that character and based on what we know of him and what and the way we've seen him behave with his partners it makes total perfect emotional sense and that's what makes it really hurt because you know that he means it
1: yeah well and also then if you don't agree with that philosophy And I would say that I don't think Dom does. Then that for Dom, it's the realization, I don't believe you, but I'm not the guy. I think you're going to fall in love again, but you're not going to fall in love with me, Mm -hmm. even though I have with you. I mean, that's just, oh, God, it just twists the knife. And then shall we talk about, we got to talk about Kevin and and Patrick. Uh,
2: Yeah, that's another, like, his, uh, Patrick's whole impassioned speech about... The future that he sees with them that he's already creating in his mind. I mean it's not easy uh, to empathize with a character who is behaving as the homewrecker uh, regardless of sexual orientation. It's just not a position that you... Normally every week you're just like, don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. And it's it's clear, it's made clear that Patrick is... uh, His anxiety levels are just through the roof every week because he knows. Like he's not... He is fooling himself a little bit, um, but
1: he's he's a good guy. He, he yeah he he's, is. He's a
2: good person doing what he knows to be uh, something unethical. And his uh, his speech about his anxiety levels and the to- the degrees to which uh, his actions betray his emotional reality uh, is once again totally brutal.
1: Mm-hmm. The reason that this is so effective. Is besides the fact that it feels like we know both of these characters very well, is that we've spent the entirety of this season watching those two be adorable together,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: Being great together, and it's not like oh, he's the shifty un- like Kevin doesn't feel like the shifty, um, not committing kind of character. He's not the Desi
0: <laughs> in-, no.
1: in this show. Uh, he, you know, he if the relationship that we see with Kevin and Patrick before this feels real, feels significant and genuine. And to then to, to watch it come to this and and it's, it's completely, uh, it, it works completely well. And, uh, it, it's natural and it's, there's no rugs being pulled out from under us. This is stuff, something that we knew eventually was going to have to come to a head. Um, but the reason it works is because as an audience members, we are just, at least I am just as gutted as Patrick.
2: Mm -hmm, definitely uh so yeah and the the whole notion of i mean not the only non-devastating part of the episode of course involves augustine the whole notion of him getting involved in the shelter maybe Mm -hmm. not that realistic that yeah i can just get that job doing that uh i don't know how realistic that is but whatever it's something for him to do uh, (laughs) i
1: need a laugh uh
2: yeah we need a laugh and also it, it it'll present i think just the idea of spending time in that environment uh is interesting because that's totally not represented on tv at all
1: yeah yeah if yeah just a just really we should have put this in drama i guess but (laughs) but it's just it's so it's such a good episode do you how would you rank this with the other episodes of looking is this one of the best episodes of the series
2: uh i would say so and uh we may as well get straight to our week in comedy Uh, shouldn't
1: we i don't wanna we need (laughs) to
2: I mean, <laughs> but, it's got to come down to Broad City versus Always Sunny. As much as there was other great stuff this week, it's yeah. that.
1: I, I have to I give ha- it to Broad City. Knockoffs.
2: Ah, it's tough. Um,
1: C- Series best, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Right. But the thing is, Broad City's aired like 15 episodes. That's true. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to give it to Always Sunny because to pull off an episode of that caliber in your 10th season is ridiculous.
1: That's very true. It's very true. And, and, you know, I'm good with that because then, you know, equal opportunity love here at the Televerse. Boom. Um, So much great TV this week in in our Week in Comedy. Uh, Now we're going to take a break and come back a a more mixed (laughs) week in drama and genre uh, when we come back right after this.
0: I dress unknown. Oh, how could I be so blind? Who think that you would never be hard to find From the place of your birth to the ends of the earth I've searched only to find, only to find Address on
1: This week in Genre and Drama, we're going to preview Bosch, which is debuting uh next week, or this coming week, I should say, uh on the 13th on Netflix. And we'll also preview The Slap, starting up at NBC <laughs> on the 15th. Uh Then talk a bit about The Better Call Saul Pilot. Because of when we're recording, unfortunately, we have not been able to watch Monday Night's episode yet. We're podcasting instead of watching it. Uh... But we'll talk about it next week. Um, This week, we'll just talk about the pilot uh, that aired on Sunday. And then we'll also talk uh, a little bit about the Allegiance pilot on NBC, The 100, Coup de Grasse, Banshee, Tribal, Justified, Noblesse Oblige, uh, Babylon, Episode 5, or Hackney Wick. And then we'll end, of course, with the Americans, Baggage. So, first, though... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bosh uh, uh we talked about this in our netflix pilots roundup a while back i want to say uh but uh we've seen the first four of this yes. of this show uh what what do you think about Bosch uh based on what we've seen should people you know is this going to be something that people should check out and more than that specifically do you think they should do the netflix binge or is this more of a uh, procedural kind of dole it out over time
2: Honestly, I don't know yet. Um, I think my major takeaway... Major takeaway? Major uh, from takeaway. watching four episodes of Boss right now is that it is the least cool show on TV.
0: <laughs> or if you <laughs> through
2: Netflix TV, it is the least hip, uh, least with it new series uh, Netflix could have possibly optioned. And that's what I like most about it. Um, it is, a, for the most part, of um, an... A very, very low-key, very deliberately paced, very casual cop show in which, I mean, the main case of the show, until the fourth episode develops some urgency that it doesn't really need, uh, the main case revolves around, you know, a body that is found that's been in the ground for a long time. So there's no ticking clock. Uh, it's just, here is the evidence here are some potential suspects maybe uh but there's also this other stuff going on that we're also going to spend time on and there is no urgency and i don't mean that as a bad thing the lack of urgency is actually my favorite thing about it um it seems like based on where the fourth episode goes that it might lose that i'm hoping that it doesn't because um it's just it's very pleasantly um (laughs) middle-aged As a series, I don't really know how else to put it. It's just like a cozy uh, uncle you like to hang out with and have a couple beers with. And he talks about his, he used to be a cop, and he talks about his cop days. It's like the TV version of his old stories.
1: <laughs> that's a very specific description, but uh, but I dig it. Uh, yeah, the, this the show, I mean, it's called Bosch, and that's what it is. It's about him. It follows him. And, uh, and so we spend time, as he's at work, on this case. Um, before I had had the chance to watch these episodes, you mentioned that this was a show about uh, this is like the only cop show about a cop who has a healthy work life balance, um, and so and there's not really that much drama in either one. It's there's some work, you know, there's a case that you know he's getting, he having to deal with of uh, uh whether it was justifiable force. Um, in, in, in a situation that happened a few years ago that that's, you know, there's some drama, there's some, some suspense from that. But on the whole, this is a guy who's doing his job and then he goes home and he has a personal life and there's not a bunch of extra drama there. There's like, this is like a regular person kind of show. And I kind of miss that. Um, I do think, I wouldn't say that it is deliberately paced because that makes me think of something like Rectify or like Mad Men. this just feels like uh, I I guess I would say just kind of relaxed I mean this is uh, co-produced I want to say by Eric Overmeyer who of course uh, was one of the uh, producers uh, creators of um, Treme and there is that sort of relaxed feel to the the to the to the show at least in these early episodes it's,
2: it's not quite Treme relaxed. <laughs> it's
1: not Treme relaxed but it's that it's closer to that than of any network cop show i can think of
2: or any other cop show period that i can i mean
1: it's i would say
2: it's somewhere in between the wire and treme in terms of in terms of relaxedness if that makes any sense fair um, enough. although it's it's not on that quality level but we're just talking pacing right now uh there's some other thing to like about it um the sporting cast is all great it's really great to see jamie hector who we know as marlo from the wire um as a cop, and as, like, not just a cop, but just, like, a very regular guy cop.
1: I I don't even need to... It's not even for me that I'm glad that he. I'm watching this actor get to play a cop. I'm just glad I'm getting to watch this actor play a guy who wears a suit. Because he gets cast as random drug person so frequently, and uh, that's increasingly frustrating for me. He's had a significant arc on Person of Interest this past season as one of the all-black crew of drug dealers... Being taken mm-hmm. down by our very white cast of characters on Person of Interest, so it's just very nice to watch him play a guy who cares about his his nice shoes and his nice ties and mm-hmm. wears a suit and looks damn good doing it.
2: Yeah, uh, I also I I admire that they didn't even try uh, to give Lance Reddick a new character. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just got him to re to replay uh Daniels. I think there's more
1: politicking here than Daniels. It's like,
2: it's almost like they pick Daniels up from the end of The Wire. Okay. Like, like a few years down the line, he's, he's just got all the politicking game. He's not literally the same character, but he's, it's awfully close.
1: Well, and I just, you know, I like him in that role. He's good at that, which is why he keeps getting cast in very similar roles to that. But uh, we'll see where it, where it goes. Um, This is not something I'm in a hurry to finish Um, I'm not going to spend my Friday marathoning the rest of the season. The the last episode that we have seen does take a turn towards the melodramatic that, uh, and I mean that, I I do get down on people who um, use that term to always be a negative thing. Here, it just, it's, it goes, it becomes stereotypical or it becomes expected. Um, it, it, It goes from being this very distinct cop show to being, another cop show and uh, i'm hoping that that is something that is a blip but i have a feeling it may not be the case um any other thoughts on Bosch?
2: uh that's uh, what you just said is totally right um i think it it would feel wrong to be in a hurry to watch more of it uh just based (laughs) on on the spirit of the show i think that if you like cop shows but you miss Low key cop shows. I think this will be a treat for you.
1: I think if you like cop shows and you like Ted Dwelliver, this will be a treat for you. So yes, yeah. If basically if you've watched the pilot and you like the pilot, you'll probably like more.
2: Yeah, it's it's more of the pilot,
1: pretty much. Next, we have to talk about the slap, uh, NBC's adaptation of an Australian drama. Um, it's. I don't have in front of me how many episodes this is going to be, but this remains the stupidest titled show. Of the year, I would be very surprised if something upsets it in, in that role in that category. It may happen, but uh, this is a terribly titled show on NBC. We've seen the first two, and the show's actually good. The show, I would say, it's very good. I would say it's one of the best and most interesting pilots NBC has had. Non-genre pilots, I guess. So not Hannibal. It's very different from Hannibal, but I I think it's a good show. At least based on these first two, it's very distinct. It has a point of view, and it explores that, and it has a very different tone from most of the things that are on TV right now. Um, it just has a terrible title. And the thing that's tricky about the title is, what else would you call it? Yeah, like, I don't know.
2: You could call it the whatever is whatever the family name is, but then you're cutting out a whole bunch of other characters, and that doesn't really fit. Uh, I mean, the slap is kind of the natural name for it. No. Once you've
1: seen... No. The Barbecue. Okay, you not accept that. Call it The Barbecue.
2: That's not much better really. It's better it's than maybe the slap. A
1: it doesn't sound like kindergartners uh like like a reality show for kindergartners as you first described right, it.
2: The, the slap at least has metaphorical qualities. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's good, but the barbecue only can be taken one way.
1: Ugh, no, this is stupid. This is stupid anyway, title. Let's, let's talk about the show. Not, let, let,
2: yeah, let's not focus on the name, because this is actually a really <laughs> good pilot and a very solid second episode. Um and what's even weirder is that it's doing a lot of things that, on paper, do not work.
1: That we <laughs> hate, so, specifically. That we
2: hate, and are just bad ideas. Uh, let's talk about the narration. Um, I don't know who's doing the narration. Victor the Garber. Sounds... Is
1: it? It's Victor Shit. Garber. He's got a great voice, and recognized it immediately. It's Spy Daddy. I, 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 I knew I recognized
2: it, but I couldn't place who it was. Um, for anyone who's seen uh, Alex Ross Perry's Listen Up, Philip, it feels very much... Uh, akin to eric bogosian's narration for that film it has a very a novel a very specifically novelistic tone and um all equally as um, equally important to the uh to the voice is the fact that it is very spare it happens a little bit at the beginning of the episode a little bit near the end maybe a little bit in the middle um, but there's probably not more than i don't know 12 lines of narration, maybe uh something like that it's 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 very effective but it's not overused and that applies to both episodes um and also it's giving you information that's actually useful
1: <laughs> well and that
2: actually helps you get into the characters
1: you mentioned it being novelistic and that is absolutely the case it, it, the the two episodes we've seen fo- follow different characters and having that type of narration um and we'll also talk about the score keys into this as, as well adds to this but it gives it a very much the feel of a chapter book so the first chapter the first episode we follow hector that's the hector chapter the next chat the next episode we follow harry that's the harry chapter and i have a feeling that that's going to continue through and we're going to get different points of view for each one it's a third person omniscient narrator um who gives other information that we do not have as the audience and that These characters wouldn't necessarily express, Um, I think, the cinematography and editing on the whole works. I like that there's a slight difference in the scoring between the first episode and the second. This is how you use jazz on a show, guys. (laughs) It doesn't always have to be crazy people who can only relate to jazz and the space between the notes. It's real. You play the rest. I mean, come on. We've all heard that a million times. This is much more interesting jazz. For me, if you're not going to be Treme.
2: And by the way, uh, there are things that we like about the affair, but I have to say, this is a way better way to handle uh, the perspective idea. Um, the, I mean, the whole notion of dueling perspectives and different, different takes on the same scene is interesting in some ways. The way they handled it, I think, went totally off the rails. Here, um, the episodes are centered around that person, but they're not exclusive to that person. Uh, We get scenes with other characters and it doesn't feel like we're breaking uh, from from what's going on. It it feels appropriate because we're getting information that's relevant to the characters, even if they're not physically present. Um, It's a much more relaxed way of doing a similar idea and it completely works. Um, I think the other reason the show shouldn't work is because we're mostly dealing with highly unsympathetic characters uh, (laughs) who are very much upper class. And you know have the sort.
1: I don't know that all of them will be or
2: upper middle class.
1: I think well some of them are. Well yeah we'll see. But I'm feeling that there there are others that we see. Uh, Just the opening because we're gonna follow a bunch of different characters who you know were who were at this who attended this event, and just based on the clothes that the actors are wearing at the event, some of them are clearly middle class, lower middle class. Um, Right. You know so when we get to them that may be a different shift. But the first two that we follow are upper middle class to one percent
2: right we're certainly dealing with very privileged people at least in these first two episodes and we have definitely had enough of that demo uh on tv but there's a i mean first of all you've got a ridiculous cast um which always helps i mean this is one of the most ludicrously great casts assembled on tv in a very long time um when you've got your first episode centered on peter sarsgaard and uh actually i don't usually like Tandy newton but i think she's quite good here um And in your second, you've got Zachary Quinto, who um, I think we're used to seeing in certain types of roles and kind of doing a a, a, not kind of doing completely breaking character here, at least from what I think of him doing as this deeply angry man. Um, And he's very convincing. Uh, It's it's a really great performance
1: and it's not just him he, he's like you say he's tremendous but i also like you know mary in ireland is really good uh as his wife i mean just and what and more than any individual performance the show has a a if not um respect a detachment um from the points of view and the philosophies of the different characters it presents them without judgment um and i you know there there's I like that at the instigating event, there are certain things that happen that make you absolutely uh, want to side with one group there. And then 10 seconds later, something else happens where you're completely with the other side of the, of the group. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the thing.
2: Like you're mostly dealing with a lot of unreasonable characters. (laughs) And then like the ones who are more reasonable, like let's say the Peter Sarsgaard character is up to some other stuff that makes him seem like less of a good guy so like no one is uh there is no good guy on the show and i think but, that would be a problem if uh if they weren't all so well drawn
1: but the show's also not obsessed with this idea no one's a good person you know right everyone is yeah. darkness is just, they're just people
2: there's no secret no i mean secrets there are, a little bit but, but not really yeah. um and yeah, so that's important. And I think the most encouraging thing is like there are things in the two episodes that don't work for me. Yeah. Um, but that's only but that may only be, be because we haven't gotten to the episodes that make those things work yet. Like mm-hmm. I think the the main one is the Melissa George character. Um, who is painted very broadly in a very specific way, um, that they're really gonna need to sell us on when we eventually get to what I assume will be her episode and or Thomas Sadoski's episode. Um and if they can do that, I'll have no problems. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah. I, I believe that they can. Well, and it's just sort of fun to watch that character as, as presented in these episodes. Go, huh? You're gonna try to make me identify with and appreciate that. <laughs> okay. I look forward to your attempt. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a it's 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 a fun show, uh, on that level as well. And yeah, there's some line deliveries or a few kind of clunkers in there for me, especially a little bit more in the second episode than the, than the first, which makes yeah. sense at a certain point with the production schedule of uh, of most TV shows. So I don't know what it was like on the Slap, but usually a lot of time is spent on the pilot and less time on the other episodes. Um, so we'll see what it is moving forward. But basically, you guys should check out the Slap.
2: I can't it's, believe I I'm saying this. I dirty
1: saying that. <laughs> yeah.
2: The slap is really good and you should watch it. Um, wow. Yeah. I think most importantly, for a show about... like, If I could really sell it to people, for a show that's clearly about a lot of deeply flawed, uh, possibly even unlikable characters, it's actually really entertaining.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It manages to, to ride that line very well. It's entertaining, uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, again, like you said, on paper, this is a show I don't need, have no interest in, and I've seen a million times. Uh, and apparently it's the original that it's based on is excellent. Melissa George plays the same character in both. Um, and I hear it's really good. I haven't seen it. Um, but I look forward to finding out if this one can deliver on the promise of its first couple episodes.
2: Yep. Go figure.
1: Yeah, seriously, did not see that coming. Uh, speaking of things we may not have seen coming, uh, Better Call Saul had its pilot, and after years at this point, I, well, months, after months of buildup of Better Call Saul, Better Call Saul, uh, how surprised were you to meet Jimmy?
2: Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think that as soon as it became clear that Better Call Saul was going to be a thing, the my very first thought I know that Peter Gold who created the character of Saul is technically the showrunner but uh, my my very first thought was how they're not going to do this straight they're going to do this serpentine in some way because these are not straightforward storytellers <laughs> they're going to find a way to do this askew. so when I heard that uh, or when it became clear that it was going to start as the story of Jimmy McGill as opposed to Saul Goodman, I thought, ah, that, that feels about right. Um, I feel as though we're at a slight disadvantage having only seen the first of these two opening episodes, whereas by the time people will be hearing this, they'll, they'll have seen both. Um, because, uh, however else we may feel about this first episode, uh, I think that something that is, uh, really great about it is that it's been, it's clear that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold have been given carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> because uh there is no piloty this might be the least uh in terms of piloty exposition, this almost has a record low of piloty exposition because they know how familiar we are with this universe, they know how familiar we that we are with the character, and they know how uh they know that we can expect a certain level of, of Of patience with respect to um, reveals and uh, elements of storytelling so there's very little hand-holding there's maybe a teensy bit but very very little so we can get a five minute black and white opening sequence like the one we get uh, which features nothing of consequence happening except an indicator of things in the very far distance Um, and that's fine so you know, it's not necessarily the most, uh, let's say, not necessarily the most dynamic pilot ever. But I think that there are things to be excited for, even if it's not immediately exciting. If that makes
1: sense. It does. I would say, however, that while that opening certainly that is, I think it's great. I really like the opening of this pilot if you didn't know the world it would be off putting and sort of bizarre after that if you if for some reason you're like oh yeah that's right i heard about this new show better call saul and you happen to tune in 5 minutes late or whatever it is i think that you know picking up in color after the title card that all feels standard um not standard pilot but it feels much more accessible Because this is a kind of story Mm -hmm. we've seen many times before. And obviously, certain character appearances are going to have much more weight, you know, any, to people who know Breaking Bad. But if you don't, then it doesn't matter that we get a full-on shot of the guy. It's a little odd to be like, why are we seeing ticket taker guys phase why are we like holding on that shot mm-hmm. but in general i do think the whole thing is very accessible the shot at the very end the reveal of whose house he's walked into uh doesn't have to mean anything uh significant if you don't if you haven't seen breaking bad it still works um, so we'll see how wh- while i think it's obviously much more rewarding if you've seen breaking bad i will be curious to see if they stick with that some at least some adherence to that Uh, balance moving forward or if they go more into the deep end i guess with jimmy because it's because we're meeting jimmy not saul um we're seeing the creation of saul it seems like over the course of uh this first season or however long you know they decide to stretch that out for and that means if you don't have the backstory you're going to just watch this person come together it's it's not like you need to be filled in on something because again, it's a prequel. Does that make sense?
2: It does. I mean, I don't think that I would have to assume that 99.5% of people who are excited about, about better Call Saul are, are, I almost don't I I was going to put in a rule about not mentioning breaking bad or calling it making Uh But I guess that's not going to happen. Um, I don't think that AMC expects them to make concessions to people who haven't seen breaking bad. Um, that being said, I think a lot of the most intriguing stuff in the pilot has nothing to do with breaking bad. Uh, the Michael McKean character is very unlike anything, uh, that we've, that we're familiar with from this universe. There are acts of seeming actual kindness that happen in this episode, which is extremely foreign to this universe. Um, And uh, I I like all the things that that we uh, can make inferences about, but not much more than that. Like that quick scene we get with uh, with Jimmy and his lady friend with whom he shares a cigarette and nothing else. Um, That being said, uh, I can imagine people uh, theoretically watching this and being frustrated with uh, especially that first 30, 35 minutes is quite dour. Um, And I think it really I think it's very much to the show's credit uh, that it does get sort of a, a caper feel to that last 15 minutes and you finally get that old Cracker Jack breaking bad feel albeit with like zero stakes <laughs> <laughs> or not, not, not not zero stakes, but much lower stakes. Um, and the fact that they can get those juices flowing even a little bit over stuff that's not necessarily life and death, I think is a good sign.
1: Well, and also just if nothing else's show benefits from Bob Odenkirk growing as a dramatic actor over the course of Breaking Bad uh, because he's I think he's very good in in this pilot. And uh, while I've enjoyed his work for years uh, in in comedy, I, I feel like Saul is his real first dive into dramatic, serious dramatic work. A lot of comedy in there, too, but also, you know, over the seasons, growing pathos as well. And I don't. I don't know if he would have been able to to handle, so the, for example, the scene with Michael McKeon with the same, uh, like, if he would, you know, I don't know how that scene would have played if he had been asked to do that before his, you know, he got to really know the character and grow with it, and grow as an actor, but also with the character over the course of Breaking Bad. So, yes, I don't, I have no interest in comparing the two series. I do think, though, that... Uh, it's really great to get to see Odenkirk continue to expand and grow as an actor. And in this role specifically, um, I think he'll... Ma- if if nothing else, it's worth watching for him.
2: It's equally worth watching for the return of uh, the, uh, the kind of visual storytelling we got on Breaking Bad. And a very similar visual vocabulary at work here. Uh, it's just...
1: Fantastic direction through the pilot. The framing is lovely to see i forgot i didn't realize how much i'd missed it
2: yeah and you know and the pilot is directed by gilligan um i know that uh, i think i'm pretty sure that michelle McLaren did the second episode if not Mm -hmm. she's back soon it's going to be the pretty much the roster of breaking bad technical people that alone makes it like appointment viewing so yay uh i don't know i'm i'm quite pleased with uh at, at the very least this this first episode um I will be curious, because I I kind of have this feeling that they're going to spend less time with the show as a prequel than we expect them to. Like, maybe a season, maybe two. I mean, it's already been renewed, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, they can take their time. But I kind of expect at a certain point they're going to just make it a sequel.
1: That would be nice. I kept waiting for him to get killed in that black and white opening, you know? Right, yeah. I kept waiting there, for somebody to be waiting for him in his house.
2: Well, the the sense of dread in that opening. I mean, it's really the only time the series is ever going to get to have a sense of dread until they, because as you know, as someone said in a, in a in a in a recap somewhere, whenever someone points a gun at Jimmy, it's not going to be a tense moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah.
2: So they're going to have to find other ways to do that, and watching them uh watching them deal with that challenge. I think it's going to be the source of fun because we know that these are resourceful storytellers. We know that these are people with serious tricks up their sleeve.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. um, Certainly it's, it's fun to be in this world. And like you say, watching these, this creative team play some more and uh, we'll talk about episode two next week. Well, that was not the only pilot. Uh, that we watched this week, or I should say that I watched this week, because, of course, Allegiance <laughs> had its premiere on NBC. And uh, this pilot, I tweeted this out. You didn't watch it, Simon. Uh, it, it managed to lose me quicker than Stalker's pilot did. It it may have kind of gotten me back by the end, because there's a few things that it does that I absolutely loved uh, in this pilot, just the where it's like, no, we're just going to fast forward through episodes worth of bullshit however uh i don't have the time for this show right now and i'm not sad about it uh maybe it'll become amazing people can tell me, let me know but the fact that they lost me completely faster than stalker was amazing to me
2: i did watch that opening based on your tweet um uh, you know what i have to say that it lost me there too it also lost me about uh ninety seconds later, when we got a shot of a cork board with um, string yarn <laughs> yeah uh not not well, not specifically the yarn but the uh with the k g b and then arrow pointing towards the acronym <laughs> of the, of the of the of the fake organization I think that they kept talking about SVR, and that they already s v r that they'd already specifically made that connection with in the dialogue it's like, wow, you guys.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. There's the thing. There's one thing if your main antagonists are the Russians and your show is set during the Cold War. I'm trying to think of anyone in the American population who really thinks that Russia is a major antagonist and threat to the U.S. right now. On on our list of people that you can have as uh, immediately relatable villains, Cold War Russia? Sure. I'll give that to you. I don't think most people I, I again maybe there's high level shit going on that I don't know about. There probably I assume there is. I it makes me feel better to think that there is. Uh but I don't believe you that I should be afraid of the Russians massive plan in America right now. I I'm, I'm not worried about Russia. Nope. Yeah, this doesn't work uh on many levels. Uh, it's not terrible. It certainly benefits from some strong uh actors doing their best with what they're given, but uh, but no. Uh, the fact that it got me back at all after the opening is amazing, but not enough to get me to set aside any time. Uh, How would you feel about the the 100 coup de gras? Were they able to get you back? Because I know you were ready to break up with it last week.
2: <sighs> no, I'm still not liking where the 100 is going. That being said, this was an episode with No Jaha and with Raven, so it was immediately better. Um, can I just shame the show for a moment for, like... Look, I know this is a uh, broad, silly genre show um, that prides itself on being such, um, but you know what I really don't need is I don't need a scene where an assassin gets killed and they pull a... Fu- and this, sorry, this is a small detail, but it really did bother me. They pull this high-resolution photo out of his bag of his two targets, um, with, and they're the only people in the photo... And they've got red circles around their heads. Yeah. Like, could you not just like show him the photo and be like, "So these are the people. Uh, we're gonna keep the photo so that if you get killed, they don't necessarily know that that's what you were trying to do."
1: Why? There are only two people in the photo. Why are they circling <laughs> their heads? There's no one else to distinguish them from. These are the two people. Don't shoot don't go the, for trees. the trees. Don't shoot the trees. Yeah, no, that's a little detail, but yeah, I had the same train of thought. Uh, I don't really have anything to add to this episode, uh, specifically about this episode. I think right now, for me, the 100 is the 100. There weren't any giant CGI apes, so that May have helped you with this one, but any other, I, I think they do a good job with, uh, Bellamy and what we get to here, I think the suspense on the whole works. And I like that they in- incorporate, you know, that they introduce, yeah, there's a bunch of children here too. So if you're going to kill everybody, that means you're also killing children. It's a little bit more back to the approach in the first season where there's higher, uh, moral choices that they're forced I to make.
2: I have a few qualms with that. First of all, that means that, you know, that there's a pretty good chance we're going to get stuck with a bunch of kids later on the show, right? Which, ugh. Anyway, um, also, I don't really know how the whole plan of let's set all the prisoners loose inside the mountain squares with let's not get all those kids killed, but I assume they're going to fix that later. Mm. Um, and also, uh, two last things. One, I'm really tired of the 100 doing the torture debate over and over. Uh, it's, it's gotten yeah. really, really old. Uh, don't need to see that again. And if you're going to be a crazy broad genre show, just have the son kill the dad don't put him in jail to be able to create problems later. Just kill him. I love Raymond J. Barry, but I was disappointed when the episode didn't end with him
1: dead. Yeah. I was surprised uh, when that didn't happen, but, yeah, maybe that's to come. Um, let's move on to our next show, Banshee. And I'm gonna keep this brief because I was fortunate enough to be a guest on the Under the Hood podcast with Sean Coletti and Les Chapel. Uh, so you guys can check out my full thoughts there. I thought this is the best episode the show has done. Um, I thought it was uh, well directed and staged. I liked the action beats. I also liked the the smaller moments as well. And the on, as a whole, I thought it worked very well. There were effective moments for characters I haven't cared about in quite a long time. Uh, even if the the big climactic moment was hugely telegraphed. Um, on the whole, it still worked for me, and Banshee is Banshee, but it can still be a hell of a lot of fun when it is operating at uh, at its peak. Um, now, based on a tweet you sent out, I have a feeling you have thoughts.
2: Not really. I mean, much like the episode from two weeks ago, this was a, a really good episode of Banshee that made me not want to keep watching Banshee. Ah. Um, uh... I'm really not interested in what the show is doing, and I should really just not be watching it because it's tiresome to hear me talk about how I'm not interested in what the show is doing. Um, the clumsy race politics of the whole subplot with uh, with the black lawyer character who we Allison. isn't really a char- is she really a character? Like, have you yeah. seen her a bunch? Yeah. Um, I I, I couldn't really remember. Anyway, significant um,
1: supporting character, I would say. She's been in the significant world. Significant supporting character. Haven't um, fleshed her out though.
2: That whole thing was like that was just so clunky and didn't work for me at all um if only because they were recapping the plot of american history x in six minutes um the uh the whole i mean when you say telegraphed that moment i mean it was telegraphed from last week yeah Uh, i don't know i didn't find the action beats all that memorable uh i feel like the season started him cheating off as a really compelling villain who has gotten less compelling every week just based on the cartoonish level of his evil mm. and this solidified that um I think it's a more interesting show if the villain is of uh is of comparable moral caliber to our hero um which is to say compromised deeply deeply compromised but still has something going for them which was totally thrown away in these last couple episodes which I think is a shame because I think that that actor has an has an innately sympathetic quality that they're not really getting to exploit anymore, uh, which is really too bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. It I wasn't. Maybe it was also a product of a hype because people were, had been hyping it since last week, uh, but I was kind of underwhelmed, and I should probably just stop talking about Banshee <laughs> in general.
1: Well. I- uh, we could engage more here, but again, like I said, I've already talked about it for an hour for uh, Under the Hood, and we've got more shows to talk about, so let's move on to Justified, Noblesse Oblige, and for me, this is the episode where Ava finally gets to do something and just be kind of hilarious, uh, so I really like all the Ava stuff we got here, and that's really the highlight of this episode for me. Aside from now, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, the show has referenced a bourbon that I have drunk.
2: That's in this episode.
1: That's in this episode. I'm so excited. I was like, ah, ah, that one. I have some of that in my cabinet. I, I figured that you and some of our other bourbon-drinking friends of the show would be very, very uh, happy for me. So I would share that that little moment of squee that I had watching this episode.
2: Uh, I really need to get some bourbon for this week when I start watching Justified Live. Um, I really... I, 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 this episode is very much in, in tune with last week. You can read my review up and Sound on site. Um, a lot of uh, hillbilly slang in this episode that I was unfamiliar with and had to look up. Actually, not specifically hillb- hillbilly slang, but just antiquated slang. Like um, when Boyd references his hamburger as a repast.
1: hmm A meal.
2: You've heard of that before. Of I course. hadn't. Yeah. You Of course?
1: Yeah. That's an of course for me. Well, people say that. Yeah.
2: I've never, never in my life well, have like, I heard anyone ever say that.
1: Like, in in my family, but we're all nerds.
2: So. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's... It's, it's a
1: fine repast. I mean, you haven't...
2: I've heard of repast, but that's a different no. thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, and there was a few other things. <laughs> I uh, wish you guys
1: could have seen his face. It was great.
2: <laughs> and there was also the use of jot or tittle, which I was like, what the... What does that mean and a few other things that i had just took delight in looking up and putting in my stray observations on the on the review but i think another thing um that uh this episode really solidifies is that as much as i'm not necessarily sold on ty walker the, Gar- the garrett Dillahunt character as being a super compelling new thing that just Fight hasn't done before i'm getting such a kick out of garrett Dillahunt getting to talk a lot (laughs) just so so fun like at at one point boyd's even like damn son you like to talk as much as i do and it's just it's such a joy to get him prattle on like he did on deadwood
1: yeah no it's it's uh, it's a fun character that he gets more to do here i'm looking forward to where this goes next and um yeah it's it's we're it's a long show this week so i'm just gonna leave it there Let's move on to Babylon then, episode five, or Hackney Wick. Uh, I'm going to, again, I'm going to keep this short for myself because I don't have much to add other than I still don't care about Liz. Um, and I didn't care about her last week, and we get more with her this week. Uh, I, I thought some elements of this episode were, were more engaging for me, but again, I, I'm i still at the po- point where I like the show better as a comedy than as a drama, and it's been really steered into the drama for me this week. Uh, how's it working for you?
2: I figured out what makes Babylon weird. Um, and I, maybe you can follow me on this or maybe you'll think I'm full of shit, but I kind of feel like if, if Veep had like a, a strong, serious side, it would look kind of like Babylon
1: and nah, you're shaking, I
2: you're shaking your head. At me. I mean,
1: I see what you're saying, but
2: I feel like it has a similar, uh, distrust of all sides of the institution it's, it's portraying. Um, it has, uh, a very similar sort of snark level. Uh, and also, the, the way specific characters are drawn, especially the sort of uh, underling who has kind of a crush on Liz and is fearful of everyone, um, has a very Ianucci ish tone, which I'm sure is very deliberate. But at the same time, it has uh, these other dimensions that are just completely dead serious. Like the whole, uh, obviously, this week, the search for the missing kid, which you, you kind of figure from the beginning is going to go bad. And then when it does, it is. It was legitimately devastating to the characters, if not necessarily to us, because we don't have a strong attachment. And I feel like the fact that it's trying to pull all that stuff off in the same show is maybe ill-advised, but I kind of admire the ambition.
1: Fair enough. Um, I think I just... Because I don't have a connection to the characters, if they aren't making me laugh, then when they're screwing each other over, I'm not particularly invested that's not something that I care about spending my time with, and so I don't care about watching i don't have I don't care who wins between finn and and Liz. I don't really want to spend more time with either of them, and so if I'm not laughing, then you know that's a problem. Uh, and watching, I mean, I do like the other, the candidate that Liz is trying to push for, but mm-hmm. of course she only cares about her winning. She, she's going to get chewed up and spat out. Um, and Liz only is invested in her being in charge because she wants to solidify her own position. Um, so I feel like the only person who's, Kind of sincere amongst the entire group is this woman who I feel like is just going to be completely destroyed by this and again and lose her entire career and lose everything that she has going for her. Um, and again, then if I'm not connected with the drama, I need to be laughing more. I guess I, that's I, where I'm at. And maybe I just, you know, maybe she's not a show for me. I don't know.
2: It's entirely possible. I, I also want to add that, uh, Another thing that I think the show deserves some notice for is being willing to, when it does decide to go funny, to wring some laughs out of some incredibly dark moments. Like when she sends her assistant off to look after the family and is like, thank goodness, when she doesn't find a body in the closet. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, that's funny.
1: Ah, Fair enough, but I don't know. I just, for me, it's still, again, it's sort of like with you and Banshee. Um, I, I, I look forward to watching the finale and seeing how it all comes together. It's clearly they know how to make a TV show over there at Babylon, but uh, it's just not one that I think is particularly for me. Any final thoughts on Babylon or shall nope. we move on to Let's the do Americans? It. Baggage. Oh man, you mentioned previously that you kind of wish they had just called this the suitcase. Um, <laughs> I, I know other things happened in this episode. I know there was a lot that's significant, of significance that happened, but if only the first scene had happened this would have won my week in tv
2: (laughs) that is um i mean we've talked about the production values on the americans and it's not that it's the most i mean it's definitely not even close to the most expensive drama on tv fx's drama budgets are uh, notoriously brittle as we've seen examples of time and time again but there's a level of craft going on here that is just not paralleled on any other show and it's all evident in that sequence. And I think what's really impressive about I mean there's a lot that's impressive about it, but we don't necessarily care that much about Annalise as a character. I do
1: a little bit. a, a
2: little bit. You've seen her in like at the she's dead now. We've seen her in yeah. uh maybe five or six episodes. Um and I think what's incredible is the way when you think back on that character's history and what you've seen her go through she's had maybe a collective 20 minutes of screen time. And just in those 20 minutes, just with the beats we've gotten with her, she's had, or she had this beautiful, tragic little arc. And the way that culminates in that suitcase <laughs> is, oh, uh, I mean, you get, there's other obvious things to praise, like the sound design, the sound design. Oh God, the sound design. I, I, I'm torn between wanting to know how they made those sounds and never wanting to know how they made those sounds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and you have all of that context or all that story with Annalise. And then you put it into this season where so much of the season is about Paige. And you watch how Elizabeth and Philip dispose of Annalise, especially Philip. And, you wonder how they could possibly, how Elizabeth could possibly be contemplating bringing her daughter into any sort of life that uses people in this way and allowing their daughter to become involved in this type of of work. That means Elizabeth wants her daughter or approves of her daughter being in a position to do what they are doing. Um, and so that is fascinating, and you know, I think it's very understandable. Philip's side of this is very uh, relatable. Elizabeth's side is what is more, uh, more foreign to to us. I think as American, as very you know, as viewers, as people who are connected with the characters, we don't have share Elizabeth's philosophy. Um, and so, not just having this happen. Having Annalise get get killed and murdered and and having her body supposed to be this way, but in a in a show or in a season where the every scene with Philip or Elizabeth contains that subtext, uh, I think is particularly interesting.
2: Yes, and I mean they, it's very much uh, when we're talking about Elizabeth's motives and uh, her wanting to, her feeling that like this will give this is not only the, 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 the it's not only orders it's what's going to give page shape and meaning in her life um that's something that i think is sort of impossible to fully sell the viewer on but it's it's fine as long as we uh as we are sold on her belief in it even if we, we don't have to necessarily empathize but as, but as long as we understand you know we get this whole thing with her and uh and the flashback with her mother and we we understand uh in a maybe slightly too on the nose way um where that's coming from and that's enough um and if we side with philip for a while that's fine it's 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 you know it's not a it's by no means a deal breaker
1: yeah definitely and uh again like you say the craft and the care with which the show is, is made um from the writing through to the performance through to the set design every element uh it's really remar- remarkable.
2: I, I would I would add, and I forget where I saw this pointed out, but I feel like it's rare that um, that the woman is the true believer and and the mm-hmm. man is the skeptic, uh, and that's a very unusual dynamic.
1: Yeah, which is funny to think about because when the X Files happened, the opposite was true. But then I think the X Files changed the dynamic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So strongly that now the other way feels yeah. Feels feels strange to us, but uh any do you have any other thoughts on the Americans this week?
2: Other than that you should be watching it. And if, if you're not, you should watch it.
1: Watch it, come on. Well then I ask a question knowing the answer. What wins your your week in genre and drama?
2: I'll give it to the Americans. It's the, the yeah, Americans definitely. Award goes to the Americans.
1: The Americans Awards goes to the Americans. Uh, So now a few show notes. You can find a post for this episode up at sound.site.org where you can let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at TV. You can also send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we do always appreciate any iTunes ratings or reviews that you guys can can send our way because it does help other people find the show. Of course, we're both up on Twitter. I am at theteleverse. And Simon, you are? Uh,
2: At Sucker Howell.
1: And what is our question of the week, Simon?
2: It's got to be better call Saul, right? I mean, yeah, we've got it's, 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 it's a Breaking Bad thing. We have to ask people about it. So come on, were you, were you pleased with it? Were you anticipating it? Were you dreading it? Uh, were you uh, nonplussed by it? You. And what did, the, and yeah, yeah, what did the hype do?
1: yeah okay well let us know what you thought you already know what we thought so let us know what you thought um now we'll take a break and we'll come back with my sister maggie kalzik to talk educational children's television in another installment of informed opinions so we'll be right back after this We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Colson, joined Us ever by Simon Howell. And this week, it's another episode that ends in zero. So that means it's time for another informed opinion. And, uh, this week, I'm excited to say we're, we're talking, we're channeling my childhood a little bit here because we're going to talk about educational children's television. And, uh, to help us talk about that, we've brought in my sister because, you know, I've got a connection there. It was e- kind of easy to call you in. I a appreciate bit. you coming on the show. Uh, This is Maggie Kolczyk. Maggie, welcome to the podcast. Hello. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, for uh, our listeners' benefit, what experience or uh, insight do you have into educational programming?
0: Well, I'm a second grade bilingual teacher. This is my second year. Um, I've worked also as a language instructor and tutor for eight years. Uh, both in Spanish and in English, and I've used educational programs in my classroom as whenever I can, because the kids really connect to the visual. So I've used that in my classroom in different ways.
1: Yeah, so you, you've seen a lot of of this this stuff. And like the, the, you, you feel like you have a strong sense of what works and and maybe what doesn't, what kids connect to.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it all depends on your age group, the attention span, the content, the speed that it's given. So yeah, I mean, it definitely gives you a feel when you work with kids a lot of what clicks and what doesn't. And you can use that to
1: increase their, their understanding of different concepts. Now, it was fun for me to go back and watch some of these shows, uh, to watch, we'll we'll go through, we'll list a bunch of these, I'm sure, but to go back and, and see some shows that I remembered really enjoying as a kid, as well as to branch out and see some new ones and some older ones. But I was really surprised by, uh, I was not surprised by how 90s, all the ones that I remembered were, <laughs> but I was surprised by how much I felt like I was going to have a seizure when I was watching some of the '90s uh, kids programming, are there any elements in going back? Uh, first, Maggie, and then I'm going to throw it over to Simon. Uh, things that surprised you in preparation for the segment of watching a bunch of different types of shows. Well,
0: I already I remembered how Bill Nye the Science Guy worked and how fast and how you know the different sound effects and lighting and all that because I actually used that in my classroom a lot last year for our animal unit. But uh, I hadn't seen Beekerman. Was it? the Beekman's World. Beekman's World. And that one definitely felt like, what was it, Pokemon? Where it was giving people seizures, literally? Okay. That one, it, that one did feel like that. But, I mean, it's interesting. You can look at the pacing of the older shows and their speed and the maturity of the different language that's used. And then with today, you know, just with the attention span and how much that's changed, you can definitely
1: tell a difference. Now, I'm curious, Simon, uh, we already threw out a couple different show titles. Do these mean anything to you? How much is there a carryover between Canadian and American children's programming, or educational programming, I should say, specifically? And did you have any similar kind of things that you noticed uh, watching a bunch of different types of shows for this segment?
2: Um, Out of the stuff that you gave me to list and the things that you, you guys have already mentioned, it's all pretty much the same stuff. I mean, all the PBS stuff basically aired on Canadian... PBS, um, you know, like, literally the same stuff uh, airing. If there was specifically uh, Canadian equivalents, they didn't remain lodged in my skull <laughs> at all. So they obviously didn't work. So, sorry, <laughs> CBC or CBC Kids or whatever the hell the equivalent was, because I really just don't remember, and I, I'm sure someone will write in with, with something they remembered from, you know, Canadian kids' edutainment. Uh, but really, it was all the same stuff. Uh, and I, th- I think, that, you know, like, going back and and watching some of these and then watching some some Schoolhouse Rock as well, like, my question is, you know, watching the early 90s stuff, it is so very 90s. Uh, but, but to us, watching stuff like Schoolhouse Rock, like, that has a timeless quality. And I'm curious as to whether kids now perceive Schoolhouse Rock and, let's say, Bill Nye as equally timeless, because I would find that strange. <laughs>
1: Oh wow. Well and that's that's very interesting. Um I think something like Schoolhouse Rock which I just love. I have such a strong place in my heart for Schoolhouse Rock. Um be- maybe because it's animated, it's entirely animated. There's a uh, It just it has the look of Schoolhouse Rock there it, it doesn't it's not trying to ape any other animation style and because different forms of animation have become so prevalent just a, a show having a distinctive look for just that show is is completely common in television nowadays i think maybe that helps with the timeless quality of it whereas uh, some some of the other '90s shows that I'm sure we'll get into certainly something like *Beacon's World* or *Bill Nye the Science Guy*. Just the the or we were watching um, so *Carmen Diego, Where in the world is Carmen Diego, Which is a game show that I loved, uh, which was trying to ape an earlier style with all of, like the noir kind of gumshoe PI aesthetics of it, but the colors and the cuts of the suits and all of that did feel. Distinctly of a time period because you have live action people. How much do you think is that element?
2: I think that's part of it, but I think another big part is the music. Like the uh, the school has rock music. I mean, it's it's in the style of pop music of the time. Um, but that's uh, but, but what but what that I mean that that which is true of both shows. But that concept is so much more specific on a show like Carmen Sandiego when they where, where when they have like a song interlude, If it. it's either, you know, the acapella group, or it's like...
1: Ahem! Rocapella sir. Sorry.
2: Get um, that straight. Or it's like a very specifically 1991 to 1994 idea of, this is a rap song! Oh. it's like, <laughs> it's very specifically dated.
1: Yeah, that, that's certainly something I was noting, and...
2: <laughs> noting, yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, and and then uh, watching some of the other shows, you know, they, then I look at something like Mister Rogers' Neighborhood or Reading Rainbow, which again they just feel so much their own little world. Maybe because they're not trying to relate to the kids in the same way that s- <clears throat> certain shows do. And and that's something I would like to actually dive in with. I'm curious what both of you guys think the the audience that these shows are going for. One of the things, because um, when I was discussing that, you know, this topic. Uh, With some of my my friends and and family, one of the things my mom mentioned, our mom brought up, is that you guys are missing a major voice in this because you don't have a parent on the show. And uh, that is, I think, a big part of when you're looking at educational children's programming. Is this a show designed specifically to be geared at kids or to be watched with parents and kids? Something like Sesame Street one of the great things about it is you can watch it when you're, when you, I assume if you have a kid, but certainly from my experience, if you're babysitting and you're not going to just want to claw your eyes out, whereas certain other shows I, from, you know, our childhood, I have to think of Barney uh, or after, Um, you know, I did. I did
0: enjoy that. I know you
1: did enjoy Barney, but Um, I hated it.
0: I had to be, I have to be honest about that. Yeah.
1: But if you're not a kid and you're watching that, it's, just mind-bogglingly uh, painful at least for me it it, it is. Um. So do, how do you think that that has changed over the years or do you think that's an important element for educational programming? Ma- Maggie what do you think?
0: Well I mean I might I would think that for a show that is appealing both to adults and children is probably going to be a little bit more successful, right, because the parents will encourage that being turned on.
2: I'm actually just curious, because, uh, Maggie, you work with kids. Um, I mean, what, A, what do you try to expose them to that they're just like, nah, like we're mostly not into it? And, B, what do they like that just makes you want to vomit?
0: Huh. Um, Oh, goodness. Well, I like to expose them to the things that – I really enjoyed when I was a child, and I find that for kids, if you have a real passion for it and you're excited, they'll get excited, too. So that that's what I like to expose them to, are just the little bits of culture, things that were important to me growing up and that I really enjoyed, and that they would not have contact with otherwise. Um, and the things that they like that I find just totally, oh my gosh. Do you have any serene. specific examples?
1: Are there any well, shows or, or uh, you know, other edutainment that you just can't believe that they enjoy? I know for some it's Teletubbies. Oh my god! Well, that we well, got—that's too obviously. That's, that's too that's young infants, but still. Um,
0: for anything, honestly, my kids a lot. What I was sharing with Kate before is that it seems that they spend a lot of time just on YouTube spirals and on things that I'm or wildly, I would say, are wildly inappropriate. A lot of horror movies, I know that's not children's te- like, entertainment, mm-hmm. but they do a lot of that. Um, so I really don't hear them talking ever about watching different children's entertainment shows like something like The Magic School Bus or even something that's a little bit older, like Bill Nye, The Science Guy. That
1: never comes up for so- them. So with the internet, there's a bit of a paradigm shift in how kids are consuming entertainment. So if they, you know, obviously there is a, children's entertainment is huge. It's probably, I've heard before that it's the by far the most biggest moneymaker in television. Uh, but as far as educational programming, just no.
0: No, not really. I mean, of course they're watching a lot of things, but as for them watching specific educational programming... I I don't hear that at least from the population of students that I work with that I have contact with. Um, no, I mean I think that that sometimes people can um, incorporate important lessons into other series. Like with I like to show my kids pre-screened. Adventure time because they have really good moral lessons in there that aren't—they're obviously not academic, but talking about bravery and friendship and these other kinds of concepts that are important for emotional development. Um, but just straight educational programming, they—they they don't, as far as I know, they don't watch that at all.
2: So what you're saying is we're raising a generation of terrifying gorehounds. <laughs>
0: It, hey, I mean, I've heard the what they watch, uh, there's this, this game that they keep on talking about, like, Friday Night at Freddy's? Five it?
2: Nights at Freddy's, yes. yeah, I know what that is
0: Yes, and I don't, I, it does not sound good, but I have to tell this <laughs> child, I was like, no, we're not talking about that anymore, it's just stop And they've watched, oh, Chucky is very popular, and mind you, these are seven-year-olds, and they were watching it when they were six Because that was in first grade, so, you know, I mean, different things Right. That for me, I would be like, oh, my God. But, you know, with the accessibility of, you know, technology and Internet and all the devices as well, it's not there's just one monitor that your mom puts on Sesame Street and you watch and you move on. You know, this is going to change the way you consume television.
1: There's just more screens and either people you can be watch. I have students who watch uh, stuff on their their phones or tablets most of my students and i have students as young as 5 up through high school uh, there's a lot of them who have their own phone a shocking number of elementary school children have a phone that has data that can you know can be they can go on like you said youtube spirals and so where like you said whereas you know even with with cable there was still usually going to be one screen that people were watching and so the parents could set it you could set you know, safety locks, child locks, or whatever, on on what channels you'd allow. So you could just leave it on PBS or whatever station that you would prefer. That is not necessarily how this stuff is being consumed nowadays. And I wonder, I, w- I did notice, I was looking at lists of the best educational television programs, children's television, all of that. Uh, I noticed a few things, with uh, with just a couple of exceptions, big ones being Sesame Street and uh, Mr. Wizard. Meet Mr. Wizard Mr. Wizard's World. Uh, almost all the shows that I was seeing were from the 80s through the 90s. Some of them starting the 90s going to the early aughts, but very few were from more recently. And I, that's either because... I don't think there aren't a lot of uh, really interesting educational programs on right now. I think either... All the people writing the lists are in our age group. Or uh, also maybe just with, you know, I feel like the, the age group that something like, again, to go back to, like like um, Bill Nye the Science Guy or, um, or Mr. Wizard or uh, even something like Magic School Bus or Arthur, that age group, they're not watching this stuff. They're watching Disney Channel. They're not watching educational programming. I don't know. And, and again, this is just three people talking. I'm sure we have other people listening who have kids who could give more perspective on it. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Simon?
2: Um, uh, I, first of all, you keep bringing up Mr. Wizard. I have no earthly concept of what Mr. Wizard is. Mr. No idea. Wizard. That's the one. Maybe it's just a personal blind spot, but I'm pretty sure that was not a thing in Canada. Well, um,
1: Maggie, would you like to inform our listeners who do not
0: know what is Mr. Wizard. Well, I just watched this for the first time, like... For this segment. For this segment, 30 minutes ago. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: So what, but this is, like, from the
1: 50s? Yeah, 50s. Okay, so
0: it's not like, yeah. So, this so is this early is older. television. But, yeah, okay. so it's just a... It seems to be a show where they have a kid who asks a question, they come in, and they do different, simple experiments. But the way he was talking about it was very using a high academic vocabulary and everything. It was very um, hands-on and simple. Low stimulus, right?
2: I I also wonder, um, you were bringing up the whole Disney Channel thing, I wonder if if shows that weren't necessarily designed for kids but aren't kid-unfriendly have sort of occupied uh, some of that vacuum as well, like Mythbusters Mm -hmm. and shows like that. Uh, like yeah. There's no reason a 7 year old couldn't watch Mythbusters But it's really designed for a general audience
1: Well and I also think Part of uh, a thing we should mention At least for American TV Is that uh, I in either 1990 or 1991 There was a law Enacted that all the networks Had to have 3 hours of educational Programming geared at children uh, I Is that a d- either A day or uh, a week I want to say it's a day um and so that probably made quite an impact in the number of educational programs on in the 90s so maybe that has to do with some of the what i'm seeing one of the other things i was noticing is that a lot more educational programs for younger kids were the more recent ones the you know the dora the explorer or uh, i was enjoying what i saw of sid the science kid uh but these are for much younger audiences whereas something like Again, I keep going back to Bill Nye, but but these other shows, Mr. Wizard and some of these other ones, definitely feel like they are for, like, teens, like, early teens. Something like Sid the Science Kid, that's got to be for, like, first graders.
0: Uh, that or younger, I mean, because any time a kid is watching a show, they don't want to watch a show where the main character is younger than, than them, probably, because they like to envision themselves as then they like to think of themselves as little adults and you know ma- more mature than obviously they actually are. It's more aspirational. But yeah, it's aspirational exactly. So um, I don't see it's more of the kid would be like, oh, that's for babies. Okay. Then. Yeah. Okay. I would. I would. I would think.
2: Uh, now I'm I'm curious, Maggie, as as someone who sees uh, kids go on YouTube spirals and things like that. Um, let's go into a hypothetical situation here. You are the parent of a second grader congratulations
0: oh thank you yes it was it was a quick ride when yeah. we got here time yeah, it flies just,
2: or it just popped out that way it's up to oh my you.
0: god oh that just sounds painful <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. anyway so uh
2: what sort of programming uh i mean a what, what would you prefer that they watched and b uh what would you do differently from most of these parents or would you or would you just like let it
0: ride Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Um, and you know, this is me talking now, of course, after I've been being down from years of experience raising children, I probably will have a very different attitude. Um, but when,
1: when you, with when, your hypothetical second with grader, my, with my
0: hypothetical second grader. Currently. Okay. Anyway, um, no, I mean, I, the kids have so many things and in my opinion, maybe I'm just old fashioned, but they have so many th- things and gadgets that they don't, need, you know, and they're they're tools, right? So it depends on how you use this tool. But for me, I'm much more traditional. I mean, I'd be reading books all the time. There are definitely quality programs and shows that we'd be watching, but my kid is not going to have a cell phone. They're not going to have their own device or computer. There's going to be one television in the family room because it's just how I was raised. So I would definitely, um, I think just control and monitor the consumption and just more than that teach right because you're not going to be there forever so just teach the kid about what the uses are for these different media and you know what's good for them and
2: so just one tv in the family room and a butter churn is all they need.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes which i will teach them to use <laughs> so you're gonna learn first so uh, you, see, but
1: um, i want specific titles Specific titles. What okay. are shows that you shows that look I value forward to being able to share with your? Oh,
0: okay. Um. Well, in things. that case, I I really I really like Bill Nye the Science Guy just because I watched that. You know, in, in classes growing up, Schoolhouse Rock. I honestly I was not into Sesame Street um growing up, but uh, now that I've gotten older, I've appreciated that more. So that kind of programming. Apart from that.
1: Oh come on! I got. I have so many. You have so many. I yeah. have so many. Okay, for me, uh, when when I have my hypothetical second uh, second grader. Second grader yes. First of all, let me just say, I'm sure future me is going to listen back to this and just laugh and laugh and all these ideas yeah, I had exactly. of what I thought. But um, like you say, Sesame Street, I think is great. Um, I, I look forward to depending on. You know, you know, if you try too hard to make your kid a nerd, they may rebel and become a jock or something. And you know, whatever makes them happy, I guess. But I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Doctor Who started it out as an educational show, and there you would—it was always hilarious because there'd just be sort of a you know sci-fi adventure story, and then well, you know, Susan, this is because of static electricity, and here's how it works, and. Well, really, the Aztecs were this type of a civilization, because so, the two companions were a science teacher and a history teacher, so that way they could be an educational program that also had aliens and fun stuff to try to, you know, get a little uh, sugar to help the medicine go down. Um, and it after a while, like, that kind of went away, but in the early seasons, you know, so that might be something worth trying, if I want to see if they accept that type of nerdery. But I go to things like Reading Rainbow. I was so glad when that Kickstarter got funded. It's coming back, apparently. Um, other shows, like, I, I really enjoyed uh, reading. Uh, other reading shows like Wishbone, or I know some people really loved uh, Between the Lions. Uh, just these different shows that encourage literacy and, and creativity. But also even just a show, like like you mentioned, Adventure Time. That sparks oh, yes. imagination, uh, encourages uh, strong, or, 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 I guess, morality that I agree with and find interesting, and shows a realistic or a uh, relatable progression through some of the challenging elements of being a, a teen, a, a younger, a younger kid to an old, you know, making that progression. So these are just some different ones that come to mind for me. Simon, what, how, how are you steering your imaginary second grader? <laughs>
2: Okay, so someone has abducted me and then put me in a room with a second grader for several years, is what's happened here, clearly. Um, <laughs>
1: okay. Because I so haven't this is the had... only way you're gonna have a second. <laughs> yeah, player. exactly.
2: I know that sounded uh, untoward. That did. I'm just saying <laughs> it's the. I probably should have found a better way to phrase that.
1: How I'm about how about you have uh, through a wacky series of misadventures, you've come to be the guardian for a rough scallion youngster.
2: I somehow got Jane the Virgin.
1: Yeah, Jane the Virgin, or I would go. say Bad Judge, something like this.
2: Yeah. Okay. You know the original uh,
1: Bad Judge pilot.
2: Right. Okay. Um in that scenario, uh okay, so there's only one TV in the house and it's in my room.
1: <laughs> oh, where's the butter TV. churn?
0: Hey? Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um
2: no, no. They there can be a TV in the family room, but um but no actual TV, just DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um like it'll it'll get like the two the requisite two channels. Um and there'll be one in my room that has all the good stuff. Um and that they don't get to somehow. Um, let's see, I'm going to be an awesome parent. I was going
1: to say, it sounds like <laughs> all of our kids are going over to the neighbor's house.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, the complete adventure, whenever it's done, the complete adventure time will be in there. All yes. All 1700 episodes Um, and all the offshoot, probably all the, like, Steven, the, 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 even the ones I haven't gotten to yet, like Steven Universe and junk like that, I'm sure is all very fun. Um, I mean, I would definitely be a proponent of the stuff that's a little bit scary or a little bit violent just to give them that little kick of of violence and scariness to keep them sated for a while before they actually want the hardcore stuff so like show them stuff like the princess bride a little too young or, or like wizard of Oz. well or I, like yeah, monkeys. Too. that
0: was freaky
2: yeah but like stuff like that that's actually kind of scary show them it at an age where it's scary so that they get that, and then they're not going to be looking up old boy in grade two on their phone.
1: Well, if I may steer us <laughs> back to the original topic, is there oh, any sorry. educational <laughs> programming? Depends on uh, your well, education. I, care.
2: I, I, sorry, yeah, we were getting into uh, philosophies of parenting.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> the uh, you know, I was watching some of uh, some of Yo Abba to see what the, the kids are up to these days, and I re- was really unable to shake my opinion that it's Sesame Street for hipsters. Um, but uh, I I did I do like the fact that they have uh, um, genuine musical guests coming in and performing original uh, kid songs uh, in a way that very much honors the tradition of Sesame Street. Um, I don't know I would I would need to find something that I'm comfortable watching for long periods of time, and I guess things like Sesame Street would qualify. Definitely not. Um, I would have to find a way to steer them completely away from like the Barney phase or whatever the whatever the uh, the equivalent is now. I think that would probably uh, drive me to... What's the aside that's killing your kids? Uh, I know that patricide is killing your parents.
1: No, filicide might be um, brother. I don't know. But yeah, bad badness.
2: Yeah, that aside is yeah. what that would, that would be.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I think finding that balance between palatable and interesting and engaging for kids and entertaining for adults can be tricky and that's one that I feel like um I know for films there's so many films that uh just think they're incredibly clever uh for and are for adults and aren't interesting to kids or really can't just like completely abandon the adults and <laughs> embrace the kids so finding that balance can certainly be tricky but um I don't know I there's there's a lot of shows we are I, I was rewatching that I, I was surprised how engaged I was by some of them even just a show like Cyber Chase, I was enjoying. We didn't we didn't make it through to the end of the episode where the math came in, but you know, I, I think if you can combine either just entertainment value or structure with um, with the educational element, so it's not a lecture, but it isn't a bunch of you know, depending on your time period, early '90s attempts at rap. Uh, <laughs> then I think that's that's really where the the secret is.
2: Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, there. I was uh, watching some of uh, Magic School Bus for this, which I'd completely forgotten about, and now its theme song is gonna haunt me. Cause it's uh, awesome. <laughs> it's it's gonna be rattling around in my subconscious, uh, probably for the next sixty five years. Uh, so thanks.
1: That's sort of the Carmen San Diego theme for me.
2: But yeah, actually, that would be a, a good a good conversation is which of these theme songs is uh, most lodged permanently into your being. Uh, I have to say, also, hearing the Bill Nye one again, uh, very dangerous.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we watched that. Like I said, we watched that last um, last spring in my class for the different anim- animal groups. And when it came out, I would start doing that, and my kids would start doing it, too. So, I mean, we had so much fun with that, and they really enjoyed it. Now, how much of the content they actually understood... And how much went over their heads and how many of the jokes went? I mean, that's, that's a different discussion. But, I mean, at least you're getting um, something of the with the visuals. They're getting that connection. I think if you're going to be using educational programming for a specific learning target, that it's good, depending on your group and everything, it's good to front load with some background knowledge so that it's not new when they're going into it because some of the straight educational programming can, um, when it's for more mature kids or when they're really trying to get these great concepts across they can go very fast and kids just need more time to process so
1: well i one of the things that uh was really interesting to me that you when we were talking uh off mic was that you said that the there's an appropriate speed at which to to talk or to teach that you know based on studies and looking at the way that the you know the the ch- child's brain processes information, and what what is that speed, Mister Rogers? Mister Rogers' speed. I don't know anyone <laughs> who Nobody talks, talks Mister like Rogers' that. speed. No, I mean it's Mister Rogers. We love him, but no one does.
2: Well, and my question, uh, this doesn't apply to second graders. This would be this would be more for like I guess sixth to eighth graders. As I'm wondering what the equivalent is for like, obviously. Um, Canadian kids. This wasn't really me, but it's definitely a thing for Canadian kids growing up of a certain age. Uh, they were raised on Degrassi, and it's like, oh, here are people my age facing important social issues. And then, you know, a generation later, oh, here are kids my age <laughs> facing important social issues on the new Degrassi. I'm like, w- what would be the American equivalent? Is right there now, one?
1: I think it's ABC Family.
2: Uh so what? What? What, what shows would that be?
1: I think it's. Switched at Birth, The Fosters, like all the different shows going on on ABC Family, seem much more geared towards that. I would say. I mean, it's fictional, whereas Degrassi has more of a. It, it at least it feels more like it's going for verite than than some of the other stuff. Ah, no, sorry. I mean, I haven't seen. I've seen almost none of it. But
2: it, it's it's someday. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's it's just funny to hear it expressed that way.
1: Well, I mean, because you go back a couple generations, you have a show like Saved by the Bell, but now I would say that's my guess. Either some stuff, the stuff that's on Disney Channel and and channels like that, and the stuff that's on ABC Family is what comes to mind for me. Well, we are out of time. I think we've talked around the topic more than yeah, I think. I think this is one that's it's tricky because either you can look at the history of it, the progression of it, or you can just you know sit and gush about your favorite edutainment shows. Which I know I like to do, um, but before we uh, wrap up, do we? Does anybody have uh, any other shows that they wanted to throw a shout out to? They particularly enjoyed or, or or maybe didn't from when they were a kid or when you know do you know watching things for this segment, Simon?
2: I have to say, like, uh, yeah, and Maggie was kind of hinting at this before. Uh, not not a specific bit of enjoyment, but some of these shows really are a lot more elaborate than I remembered. Uh, like especially Bill Nye with the constant divvying up of the frame and the little audio gags coming in every six and a half seconds and uh, and 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 then Carmen San Diego with the I didn't even remember there being a male host I just mm-hmm. remembered the, the chief brassy, yeah uh. the chief the brassy chief like that's all I remember and I didn't remember animation or the rockapellas or they or the male host or the fact that every everyone who came on the show had a little bio like all that stuff like wow that was so much more going on so of course I was watching it at, at, at the time
1: how about you, Meg?
0: Well, you know, it's something that I didn't watch when I was young, but something that I was watching with Kate for this segment was um, Carmen Sandiego, and it was really fun. And I could see my kids getting a kick out of that too, because I was trying to—I was trying to think of the answers. I'm like, no, nope, I don't know what that is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's one that that would be interesting to go back and also reading Rainbow. I just remember if we talk about theme songs that really stick in your head. Of course, that one is is a big one, and the way that what's the the fish and the butterflies there whatever is they're going across the sky. Uh-huh. I mean the animation. I remember that very specifically. So that I would say. Um, I also did. I don't know if this counts as as edutainment, but I also did enjoy Veggie Tales.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I don't know if it's edu, but it's certainly it's uh, something
0: morality tales. Yeah. yeah a big one for that we did in uh, high school Spanish for edutainment for learning language and everything was La Catrina which was amazing it was it's terrible it's so bad that it was what what, going, what is
1: this what is
0: this oh my god and what anyone who knows what this is will instantly be like yes you know <laughs> because it's just one of those things but it's called La Catrina and they're still watching it. I have stud- I have students um, tut- my, that I tutor that have watched it in their Spanish classes, and it's just this uh, terrible, awful uh, series from the 80s that they created to teach Sp- the Spanish language. And they teach you, and they show an episode of- at a time in our classroom, and it was very much a communal event, and everyone would get super into it. It's like a, it was in like a, a yeah, exactly. But it was just it was just so awful that it was amazing.
1: Well, uh, another one that came to mind uh, as, in a negative sense for me, uh, Caillou from Babysitting. Oh my God, yes. That's There's terrible. Some that I loved from Babysitting, Awful. like Magic School Bus. Uh, some that I really did not. Caillou is one of those. Uh, another one that I think was... I
2: blocked out Caillou.
0: <laughs> it was go go to, go to YouTube. Oh my God. Gone. That kid needed...
1: Something, and I know some people absolutely will love it. It'll mm. be people yelling at their that their uh, at their you're wrong <laughs> 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 podcasters right now. Um, I should also I, I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, I don't I I'd no idea if it holds up, but uh, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Oh yeah, oh,
2: I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that was an, uh you know what I saw the uh, a few weeks ago was someone made. Uh, A trailer for a live action version that they just shot in their backyard or something and it was (laughs) one of the best things I'd seen in a long time
1: and then I also for this, finally sat down and watched an electric company and I had never seen any of it before and that that show was fun at least what I was able to see of it and uh, if I was Morgan Freeman I don't if think I've ever started this. Morgan Freeman with your imaginary like second grader. With my imaginary grader. second grader. Uh I would be super jazzed about the fact that I was on the electric company when I was first starting out, which doesn't I don't know how he feels about that. I don't I don't get the sense that he's really embraced that part of his career. But I think it's awesome, personally. Uh so that that's another one. Uh when i uh, going back to my imaginary second grader, I forgot that I, you know, I haven't I would also be inundating them with uh, "Schoolhouse Rock" because I really memorize something set to music, and you will know that forever. I still know the quadratic equation uh, because I I had to memorize it to a, to a song. Pop goes the weasel. Pop goes the weasel. Exactly. Um, or uh, and the other thing that I would mention to that for cultural uh, learning would be the Warner Brothers shorts because you learn oh, so yeah. much of, yeah. of cultural. You know, just like old Hollywood figures or just some of these different archetypes that I reference to my students now and they have no idea. And the last one that I haven't mentioned yet... Oh, I guess I did mention it. The last one that I have very fond memories of is Wishbone, because again, that's another um, classic literature. I'm always saddened when I reference, like, Quasimodo or or other significant fictional characters to my students and none of them have any idea who I'm talking about. Uh, I need to send them home with a DVD set of Wishbone so that they can have that cultural touch point,
0: so I really also enjoyed Arthur. I mean, I don't know why, cause it, it's it's so um, saccharine that it could be annoying, but I just found it endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arthur's I,
2: still going, eh?
0: It is, yeah. Well, and they have all of those books too, which are nice, mm-hmm. which the kids uh, are reading.
2: I noticed they did a Downton Abbey episode recently.
1: Oh, Arthur did? Wait, seri- seriously? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Well, that's pretty good. That's, that's some <laughs> chocolate in my peanut butter situation, only not good as far as I'm concerned. Um mm. but uh oh and you know what we didn't mention? We didn't mention blues clues. That's also another one for the uh but, shotgun. but but let's I think we should leave it there. We've already gone on too long. Yeah. Any oh, final thoughts? I would like to
0: have a final thought. Go for it. Speaking of which, um lamb chops play along. Mm-hmm. I would like to say that I was driving in the car with my husband recently, and he wasn't talking a lot, so I tried to irritate him with that song. This is a song that never ends. It, it didn't work. He's very he's very calm, but I tried. And, and that's that's that's, courtesy, that's courtesy, of... courtesy
1: of edutainment. Ah, okay, yeah. Simon, any final thoughts on edutainment?
2: Only that you've just uh, reintroduced my brain to the song with that name.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. And. <laughs>
2: You're just lucky you're you're several hundred miles away.
1: <laughs> right? And my final thought will be, uh, for those out there who get this reference, self-esteem is for everybody. Self-esteem is for everyone. Anyways, uh, thank you, Maggie, so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Telliverse. Butterfly in the sky I can go twice as high It's in a book, a reading rainbow, I can go anywhere, friends to know, and ways to
0: grow, a reading rainbow.